0: From Washington, this is the MacroCast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, July 1st, 2022. You're listening to the MacroCast brought to you by Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. I'm Tony Frado in New York. Got Brendan Walsh. Brendan, are you in DC? Or are you up in Cape Cod? Cape Cod got here on Monday. Good for you uh, for the holiday weekend. And our old friend Matt Del Orfano. Uh Matt, just it's so great to have you, uh great to have you back on. It was so I actually went back and listened. I think it was March 20th of 2020, was the first time we had you on. Is that right? Sounds right. right. Sounds right. right. at the beginning of uh the, the right. shutdown.
1: Yep. Yeah, we were in the we were in the the podcast uh, booth. We haven't been there in a while. <laughs> Since then, yeah. That's right. <laughs>
0: Uh, and obviously, so much uh, you know, so much changed since then. And if it's when I went back and listened to it, because which I always like to do whenever we have guests come back on, um, not not to see if you said something stupid. Um, but usually this, I'm sure I
1: did, so that's fine.
0: <laughs> well, everybody was kind of stupid there, but I actually, when I listened to it, I, I thought we were actually kind of prescient on. We were, I mean, look, that was a week we were talking, spending a lot of time talking about Fed response, you know, and and uh, whether the fiscal package. It was funny we were. Um, we all concluded that at that on that day they were talking about a one trillion dollar package, and we all kind of concluded that's ridiculous. Double it, and which they ended up doing actually uh, in short in short order. Some ways here we are not talking about the the outcome of those acts, at least uh, not 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 on the not so much at that point on the fiscal side. I think all the all the fiscal spending in 2020 was pretty well absorbed. Uh, certainly the start of the monetary policy response in March of 2020, which was pretty significant in all the tools that they, uh, that they used. And, um, and I think we can all conclude, I think everyone has all, I think everyone has now pretty universally concluded that, you know, they went too long uh, with some of the tools and we're dealing with some of um, the the outcome of that with uh, sustained inflation at rates faster than, uh, a lot of anyone by the name, Larry Summers, didn't um, anticipate, and um, it's going to be with us for a long time and causing a lot of economic upheaval right now, political upheaval as well, but also just a lot of misunderstanding of the components of inflation. And One of the things, we we did our prep call yesterday, I was just fascinated by your discussion of understanding the components of inflation. It was just really... And just, I'd love to love for you to just like dive back in on that and tell our listeners like uh, like some of the complexity of understanding the um, the uh, the dynamics of rates moving up and rates moving. I'm sorry, inflation rates, not policy rates. Rate, you know, inflation rates, prices moving up, prices moving down, uh, and as they fit into our understanding of the components of inflation. and So I'd love for you just like to, to, to lead us off, sure. kick us off with that discussion.
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, I think obviously a lot has happened in those, in those couple of years and, and a lot of there is been a lot of spending that popped up because of stimulus. There has been a lot of supply chain constraint, some of it because of direct labor issues, some of it because of um issues overseas, for example, China production shutdowns, uh, and a lot of I'll call it retailer response, um, in terms of, hey, you know, if there's not enough goods, I don't have to mark things down. And a lot of rotation between everyone buying home stuff and then re-emerging from COVID and and, and all of those things, um, you know, the way the way I try to describe it is every one of those in isolation, when you're looking at any kind of inflation number that we love to aggregate. And make something simple out of uh, is kind of like a rat going through the snake, right? It creates this lump, right? But the problem is, is we have so many of these lumps going in so many different directions. It's really hard to see what's actually going on. And so the easiest thing to do is to default back to, uh, hey, here's the aggregation, right? And you can get duped one way or the other way pretty easily. And all of this can matter a lot for the markets when they see a big inflation number, a top, a headline number. Last um, last month, for example, it can matter a lot to people on the ground. I, like we can talk economic numbers all you want, but when gas prices go up fifty percent, there's ten to fifteen percent of the population that is in real pain, right? So we can't discount we can't discount these things and say, oh, this inflation number is real, and we made these adjustments, et cetera. So the best thing we can do. To try and be thoughtful about policy, to try and be thoughtful about how the market's gonna approach it is to try and disaggregate it, understand it, and then make some real some judgments around there. That's that's sort of our starting point. Um, oh as to why it's important. And as we go through these 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 time periods where inflation has we've had big moves one way or the other, now it's really important to try and work together to understand the differences and what we can do to both alleviate pain, to do a right job, uh, the Fed. Have the Fed do a good job to to make policy decisions and also be thoughtful about how we're going to invest and what constituencies care about. Um, so that's that's sort of that's the starting point. Uh, and I'm glad to talk about some details. We can dive into that, um, but that that's that's the starting point. So I hope is that where the angle that makes sense for you? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, great. Um, so I think you know we and and you mentioned our prep call. I think the way we laid it out is. I think people, um, people
0: think we just wing. We just come on here and wing it, uh, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> we don't yeah, pull back the curtain a little bit that we actually do. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
1: kind of prep. There's a so, spreadsheet. Yeah, you know, there's, we're, we're good
0: is, Yeah, there's prep that
1: goes on here. Yeah, <laughs> believe it in or a not, different direction, but we do actually. <laughs> yeah. <in the> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whether the prep translates into the actual podcast. This is a professional story, podcast.
0: This is not like <laughs> DIY. No one's in their basements right now.
1: No. <laughs> um. So look, I think I think a couple things that you know we I try to do, and I'll talk about the CPI because there's you know CPIs. Look, they're they are doing, and and I will tell you. You know we are very lucky in this country. I cannot express it enough how lucky we are to have massive teams of people, and whether it's at BLS or BEA or many of the other measurement agencies that are well funded um, to be able to make these measurements. Because there's places in the world, developed places in the world, where there's no way we could have this conversation because they don't do that. So all of that, I mean these these folks do incredible work, and they give us the best estimates they can, and they revise them, and they're open and honest and uh, I'm always impressed where I can pick up the phone, w- literally pick up the phone and call VLS or the BEA and the mm-hmm. answer, and they'll tell you an answer to any question. So we're, we're very lucky to have those agencies be well-funded because they do incredible work. Um, and so I think, I think one thing that, um, you know, one thing we try to do with the CPI, which is the consumer price index, which is trying to represent what people feel on the ground. We try to look at um, a couple of things. Um, the headline obviously because that affects how people are shifting spending. If you're spending more on gasoline, you're spending less on home goods. That's a thing. But we're also in this in this last couple of years trying to trying to take out those those lumps in the snake as we like to call them. So if I were to look at, you know, some of the we CPI is often reported it's reported as a year over year and there's adjustments, etc. And mm-hmm. a sequential. And what people get kind of focused on for obvious reasons is a sequential is making best efforts to measure you know, what, what's, what's actually happening from one month to month, to the next. Um, and if you have 1% in sequential, people will quickly annualize that and say, boy, if this continues, that's 12% a year, right? 1% sequential times 12. Yeah. Um, and so we try and smooth that out and not smooth using fancy math, but smooth using some basic logic, right? We take a look at the, uh, you know, for example, in, May, um, in, in March, We had a headline of basically a percent and a quarter, right? Huge number. Um, What do we, how do we handle In May, we had, you know, a, a 1%. How do we handle those and think about them? So the first thing that's naturally that people do is they look at the headline and they say, ah, that has very volatile things in it, like food and gas. Now, I want to keep everyone in mind, food and gas are very important to most people. But we really are concerned when we talk about policy and inflation spiral and whether the worker is going to have to ask for a wage increase the next year, whenever the timing is, we want to see what's seeping through to the core. And the core is what they make best efforts to really understand the distribution of how people spend and what they have to spend over time without some of these things that move around a bunch, right? Um, We try to take that one uh, one step further. And we tried to go through things that have had <clears throat> big, big jumps because of COVID. So we can talk about things like the last couple months have had huge increases in airline spending, right. well, wide, fa- wide fares go up in one month. Well, jet fuel went up because Ukraine was invaded by Russia. Right. Great. Big contributor. Planes were not staffed properly and everyone wanted to go on vacation. So do I want to take vacation that num- season too? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Do I want to take that number? And uh, just to be clear in the core, they're measuring it very well properly, but maybe I want to think about what the, I'll call it, you know, the subcore is right where I want to remove things that were battered by, you know, that were battered and coming back. And in this year it's been the services. So I want to remove things that have had big weighting changes. And we'll talk about used cars in a sec, but, you know, used cars, when you look at the weighting was, these are rough numbers. 2%-ish of what people spent. That's best estimates on an annual basis. And mm-hmm. the used car price to the consumer includes both the car and the and the margin the dealer makes. The um, But now we have situations where used cars, because of the price increase relative to other things, remember it's a relative spending basket, is yep. now 5-ish percent, a little higher. So did the world really change that much? And by the way, If you get in a car accident, your car is totaled and you have to go purchase a used car, or if you have to get to work, it it stinks right now because you have to pay a lot for a car. But do we want to assume that that goes forward? So we try to remove those elements. And by by removing those elements, what we've noticed is, what I've noticed is basically that we've come down materially. If these are sort of the right way to think about it. If you're doing a one-ish percent core, excuse me, headline, and you're doing a 60-ish basis point. 0.6% uh, uh, core, we're kind of coming in at a 0. 0.35, 0.4 of this reweighted index of things that have stabilized. That is down a lot from last year. Why is it down? Because the price pass-through is slowing down. Mm. Now, could we have an issue over the winter where, hey, we require stuff that's made out of plastic to keep our lives going and oil is up and that will pass through. It absolutely will. But are we seeing the customer push back when Walmart comes out in their public press release and says, hey, we've had a big switch in the way people are spending on home goods. That's a price response. Sure, it's a price response to people feeling pain on the gas, but it's also an indicator that we're either going to switch down to private label versus branded, or hey, they're going to have to shrink the quantities again, or um, we're going to use less stuff um, and we're starting to see that demand retrench in the goods and i think we'll very much see those smooth numbers be extremely relevant and start to reconverge in the back half of this year as the travel stuff starts to to tone down so that's that's how we try to look at it and we'll go to more components i mean Tony do you have any, is that what other what other details there help make that that useful to people and obviously we'll talk about the used car thing and the and the and the margins in a minute
0: yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to get into that. I was trying to think of like what are some of the other, the other sectors that sort of fit that same model of where we can, you know, think about them the same way in the second, especially, sure. in the near term. Uh, and I think of that as the second half of this year and maybe into twenty twenty three. You know, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, travel, I
1: mean, travel stuff. So yeah, hotels, right. rental cars, yeah. um, other um, airlines, and we're worried about you know, labor shortages and, and, and issues as that stuff cools or, or has it goes through the, the rat goes through the snake. You'll see those changes in terms of continued changes in the goods, recreational items. um, And and think about everything from ATVs to boats, to sports equipment, that kind of stuff, um, which is a surprisingly decent weighting in, in the, in the numbers Um, and other elements where we have, we still see the supply chain pain because it's often because of semiconductors, because of, Different schedules of production shutdown, and that's pretty much autos, right? We saw GM came out this morning, yeah. And today our, our shipments are down. I think they, I, I, you know, if I'm misquoting slightly, I believe they said their shipments are down 15% quarter on quarter versus 21. Yeah. Think about that yeah. for a second. Yeah. Right? Think, so- or,
0: yeah but it, it is, but it was, inter- it was inter- I didn't get a chance to look at it uh, that closely mm-hmm. either, Matt, but, uh, but also, but I, I did see a number of something like they've, they've shipped something like 95,000 cars that are missing something, yep. right? Some component, which, you know, I think I remember talking about this last year, we had bought a new car. Mm-hmm. And because of the chip shortage, we only had one key, you know, uh, right. we finally got our second key. Um, right. a Couple months ago. Yeah. No,
1: but it's simple stuff that where they can't get them on the road. You know, one of the big one of the big issues the, the tire pressure monitor. Oh yeah. The, yeah, because I think whenever every year the regulation. Anyway? Does this even work? They do work. Do they, they, they do? And and I think it's since what sixteen or eighteen? I can't remember when they changed the regulation. You can't ship a car in the U.S. without them. It's like shipping without headlights, and so that's been a huge holdup. Is the tire pressure monitors? These um, tiny little things. So so stuff like that, but. That 95,000 cars that I believe they said they have kind of sitting around because they can't get them in the customer's hands, those are going to come to market, right? Yeah. So that's going to affect a lot of other things. I think that's actually a great segue to talk about sort of some of the weighting issues. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of talked about the categories. So when we think about travel, some goods that had too much of a spike in price, those right. matter a lot. Moving on to a specific category, why does it matter? What are the numbers? And, and I mentioned to you, like the used cars are a great example, roughly, definitely, cars have gone up, used cars are 200% more expensive than they were before COVID. It's a round number. There, It doesn't matter. The point is, is that that's a lot. That's a lot. And because, because of the waiting, and now from the consumer's point of view, that includes the price of the car, but also the margin the dealer is making, right? And the dealer has to work harder to get more inventory. They have to think about these things. If there's dealers are now confronting the other side of the story, which we'll talk about in a second... When you think about what they've, uh, what the consumer sees and how we measure it, it's gone from about 2% of the weighting to about 5 almost 6% of the weighting. Okay, what does that mean? That means that if car prices have gone up 200% and they come down 10% in any one month, which I don't think anyone would look at that and say, well, that's unreasonable. If there's more new cars available or if inventory frees up or the summer's over, no yep. reason cars wouldn't come down 10%. Well, if you do that in any one month, that can actually detract, rough math, 50 basis points, half a percent from your inflation number. So just like we take out the stuff that went up too much, we in our numbers try to take out the stuff that goes down too much to really understand what's going on. But theres there it is highly likely that we will have inflation prints over the next six-ish months, that have big downside surprises I'll call them are they really surprises no but is it hard to estimate the timing it is and so when we think about that and we see these numbers print it's really important to try and dig into the details and understand that we're not you know not make decisions or policies decisions based on these underlying elements that might move too quickly because we that could be a situation where and I I'll say it it's it sounds crazy but there's there's a real opportunity where we could have a negative 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.7 on inflation. People say, how is that even possible at the core? Uh, because what if you had 10% decline in new, 10% decline in used, and a 7%-ish decline in airfare, and hotels come off a little bit? You have a negative inflation rate. And that's a realistic negative? possibility. That, that's probably going to happen. Sure. The air we, air. we just have to understand that it's out there, that it's a probability. If you understand that that can happen because of the way things are acting and how the weightings have changed. No problem. We can make good decisions. It's just making sure that people really understand that and don't overfocus on it, and don't immediately say, "Oh, these measurements are are bad because they move around a lot." No, they're quite good. You just want to look at the underlying and make your, you know, have a custom index or, you know, talk to the agencies who measure it and have them help straighten it out because there's a lot of room to do that.
0: I appreciate you making the point on, uh, which we had, uh, always have to do because it's easy to be frustrated by the you know data. Um, but as you keep, as you keep saying, it's something I like to say too. these are truly the best data collectors in the world. Unbelievable. Like, there, there is nothing like this in the world. And so we shouldn't be too frustrated. So it's hard to do it on a big complex economy like this.
1: No, it's um, a national treasure. I, I don't say that lightly. It truly is.
0: Yeah, they're amazing. Really?
1: Um, and there's also like six different CPI measurements. They don't like hide it. They take the data and you can group it differently. But people complain like, "Oh, you're hiding it." No, they 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 give it all on the website. It's just kind of how it gets reported. Uh, but right. it, it, There's no like secret. Yeah, uh, you it, know, it is one of the things that about
0: thing. uh, yeah about data reporting that sometimes like the wrong data will just be reported forever because it's what everyone expects. And if you try right. to change it. People go bonkers. And I've tried, right. I, I remember trying to do that when we were at Treasury on a couple uh, t- uh, capital flow numbers. And it's like people didn't want to hear it. You know, it's like, we said, well, Good. this is a better number. It's like they don't want to hear it. It's like, you need, to, you need to give me the number that I've always been paying attention to, period. Which is yeah. why it's like the Dow 30 still exists.
1: <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> it's like, Correct. It's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, um, but, uh, can I ask you? Talk we about the margins. Yeah, yeah I, def- oh, I definitely want to do,
0: but I actually do want to ask you one one more thing. This this we didn't talk about yesterday. So if I'm hitting you with it, but like like, but uh, but housing obviously is a huge piece of this also, and what you're measuring home prices or rents, um, mm-hmm. and, and they're always they're also obviously buttressed quite a bit by uh, both the, the the supply chain issues and uh, work workforce uh, labor participation issues as well. How are you thinking about uh, housing right now as a component on inflation?
1: Sure. sure. So so housing from a CPI point of view is measured. It's a big portion of the measurement, by the way, as it should be, right? Yep. And and just as kind of like a very brief reminder, there's a measurement, a portion of it that's rents. Um, and it's done by survey and they're asking folks what their rent has gone up and they try to be careful about utilities and mixing and matching. They, they do a mm-hmm. good job with the sample. Um, And then the second piece is they call owner's equivalent rent, which is um, trying to capture the price of someone's living without scrambling the eggs with their mortgage. They're trying to make a real effort there to say, hey, what would your house rent for? Right? Which is very different from what do you think your house costs on a monthly basis because people tend to Default to their financing costs, and that's a different cost, right? So we have to be a little bit careful about that. So they try and make best efforts to separate those two things. So they're trying to get a rent to rent owner's equivalent, which is why they call it owner's equivalent rent. Um, so when I think about what's happened there, I'm sorry, let's start with the big picture. It would be very reasonable in any world to think that rents ish should go up by wages ish, they should kind of match. Yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Is it perfect at any point in time? Absolutely not. But generically speaking, that's probably the right framework. Now we have seen a lot, like we said, a lot of rats in the snake when it came to, and bumps, when it came to housing in different regions, we also had incredible supply chain constraints. Um, and so one of the things we, we look at, and I will get to the conclusion on the housing in a second, one of the things we talked to a lot of contractors, big ones, not, not little ones, well, little ones too, actually. But we talked to them. And the reason we talked to them is we, we asked them questions that um, folks like um, the ISM um, measure. I ask them, hey, what's going on with your backlogs? And so I, I have a great example. We, have a, we have, a, I have a roofer who does commercial and residential, and he's a decent sized business. And uh, we talked to him, and he said, I said, what's going on? He's like, I've never been busier in my life. Uh, we have two or three year backlog. Uh, I can't get people. Uh, the materials are in shortage. It's, it's, I have developers calling me. It's a mess. I said, yeah. oh, geez, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm going on vacation. I said, what? Yeah. He said, yeah. He's like, there's nothing to do anyway. And he's like, by the way, he's like, just so you know, he's like, when this ends, my backlog is going to go from three years to three months in the matter of about eight weeks. He's like, I've been through, he's been doing this 30 years. He's like, just so you understand, he's like, right now it's, it's a nightmare, but as soon as it ends, it comes off really hard. So I think what we're seeing now in the market, so I'm not talking about house pricing, but yeah, what we're yeah. seeing now is, is the backlogs coming off as financing rates have gone up, mortgage applications have fallen and stuff starts to stick. So immediately you see stuff back off, right? So, so this roofer, I mean, again, he was like, I'm going on vacation because I already know what's going to happen, right? (laughs) Right. Like uh, I'm going to, we're backing off, and he's seeing backlogs come off. People are gonna buy orders will get caught up. People will buy less shingles, less plywood, all that kind of stuff as we sort of normalize. At that point, that that expense, that incremental cost comes away. We've also seen, and I know in some of our business surveys and the um the NFIB does it. They do it. Some of the small business sur- surveys do a good job of capturing this too. But we see a lot of the labor shortage and people asking for a raise. And when the boss says, "Hey, why'd you ask for a raise?" They're they said, "Well, I'm going to go work construction because I'm getting paid thirty dollars an hour, right? So I get paid seventeen here, but I got to go do that. I have a family, right? And so, so we've seen a lot of that marginal wage pressure start to back off already, where people are showing up for their shifts." in in existing jobs. That doesn't mean anything's wrong. Um, It's less growth, for sure. No no argument there, but it's actually a lot of normalization. So when you say, hey, what do I think is going to happen to housing prices? I think we're going to have a period where we have fewer transactions, we're going to have lighter pricing, and we're going to have some of the margins in the housing come off as people work through the inventory that's out there. I... Would also say that we have the marginal buyer because of interest rates is is knocked out. Um, and, and I think constituencies that have a lot of credit union financing and a bunch of other elements there should be introspective about how Though Some of that financing happened because the banks are so highly regulated. Wells Fargo and JP Morgan are not making the loans they were making in 2008. So I think there's probably a little bit of mess in there with some underqualified buyers, um, but nowhere near what it was last time. So I don't think we have a total balance sheet disaster. Um, But the result is that, I mean, look, I think if I'm not mistaken, the home price appreciation, I think measured by one of the third party providers, not the Case Shiller, is running about 8% already this year. So I don't expect it to do another eight in the back half, That's kind of, but it that's doesn't kind of mean. My we,
0: point. Yeah, that's kind of my right. point, and that's a, the, the sort of like the technical question of it. I agree with you that like there's not a mm-hmm. housing apocalypse coming at all because we didn't have we didn't have the supply or the people to build as many houses as the demand was asking for. It kind of saved us right from having a housing gang right. right now, but the. But the technical question is like what what does what does the measurement of CPI look like if we just have if we just have flat if we're just flat for the next eighteen months what does that do for the inflation measures?
1: Well, flat flat. I think flat's probably unlikely, a it but, but, off, right, for it to right yeah, yeah, but I'm saying if you would ta- take, that takes 30 basis points out every, every period It's the right way okay. to think about it. It's a round number, but, but if you oh. take 30 basis points out now, I don't think rents will be flat per se. Yeah. Um, but, but conceptually that would eliminate 30 basis points each period. Um, and, and, but I look the last couple of periods housing has gone, has done a 0.5 or a 0.6 on in any one period. So that annualizes higher than a five, yeah. right? Yeah. If it went back to doing 0.35 or 0.4, which is what it was in two thousand nineteen, that's super healthy, and it's back in line with three percent ish wage growth. Yeah, and and I think that's fair, and I think that's probably where we go. I it, um, there could uh, and the measurement in the CPI probably won't reflect the house price indexes because of the way they survey for it. So just be a little uh, be aware of that. Um, yeah,
0: that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Um.
1: So anyway, that's a story on housing, and I think the last thing that that that's important for people to know that's different from the CPI is the the PCE, and and that's that's a broader measurement, but it includes the PPI, which is the producer price index, and the producer price index is trying to measure all the stuff that goes into um, supply chain, and the I can I'll give people I like to, I try to give the gasoline example because it's sort of easier to understand because everyone uses it imagine someone imagine you you drilled a barrel of oil here in the US and then you sold that barrel of oil to a refiner in the US who made some gasoline out of it and then you sold the gasoline to a gas station and then the consumer bought it right so there's kind of four pieces of that the raw the we add value to it the we distribute it and then the guy buys it Right, that's, that's sort of the right it's oversimplified, but that's kind of the yeah, way pretty, to think about clear, how yeah, they try to, how to try to measure um, the producer stuff yeah. because they sell to each other right so you can't just take the end price. Yeah. So one of the big measurement things that happens at PPI is is called the, the trade margins right And what they're trying to do is it's a retailer or wholesalers their selling price. Less the cost of the price. So it's, it's trying to measure the margin. And I'll, I'll go back to the gasoline example. When gas prices, let's say wholesale gasoline prices go up, your local corner gas station sees that they're going up, they raise prices by 10 cents. Uh, you know, just using example, let's say wholesale prices only went up. They, sorry, starting point is gas prices X, they're making six cents a margin. Yep. They see gas prices go up, they raise prices 10 cents. On that day, they raise prices. They're making 16 cents, right? Now immediately, gas follows, right? So you can see situations where, as gas prices go up, the um, the margins actually expand briefly before they come back down. When gas prices go down wholesale, the margins stay higher and then follow down, right? So there's a lag in there, a very natural one. But for bigger folks, bigger industries, to so think about distribution companies, wholesale distribution, trade, trucking. These are huge industries in parts of our country, right? And everything from distributing your uh, AC unit to wholesale food, to all of this stuff, right? That people supporting the plumbers and the tradesmen that work every day. day—they, When we think about that, those, those folks received price increases from manufacturers. In many cases, multiple price increases. I mean, mm-hmm. four or five right. sometimes last year. And so at that point, housing... I'll use housing because we we're just talking about as an example, housing was going really well and people were staying home. So if your AC unit broke, there was probably a little more money to spend. People didn't feel bad. And so if it, went, if it used to cost you, you know, for a whole house air conditioning system, $10,000, by the time you know, the manufacturer raised prices, the plumber had to raise costs because of labor and the wholesaler had high demand. So they probably they took up about it. So now your price is $13,000, but they all kind of got a thousand dollars more of that margin right? They, they kind of split it. it. It's again, an oversimplification. So now what we're seeing in the deep nitty gritty of the numbers is we're starting to see the wholesale margins start to expand less. I didn't say negative, right? Yeah. But start to expand less. And that starts to drive... Um, that's You can take it a bunch of different ways. You can say manufacturers aren't asking for price increases. You can say wholesalers are eating the price increase in the manufacturer because they don't want to lose volume. Yeah. Or you can see they went to the plumber who, or the HVAC guy and they said, hey, can I raise the price? The guy said, no, I can't charge my customer anymore. So we're seeing the demand pushback. All of that's actually quite healthy because we had quite a lot of capture there that we probably shouldn't have had because of supply chain and other things. So as that capture comes off, um, there will be industries where, where it's negative uh, that will bring the numbers down. But there will also be just sort of a normalization there, and that will start to bring the core PCE in a lot tighter, um, so that that that'll probably give folks at the Fed, et cetera, a little bit more leeway. Um, we you care about understanding those margins a lot because if you have big manufacturing companies and and they care about their pricing, seeing that wholesaler pushback is something they're going to worry about when before they make their next hiring decision, right? So we we have to go to sort of go through that and that normalizes the wages. So I think we're in a very the numbers from the. The bottom line is the numbers, whether it's the uh, the funky stuff that that's that's got had big um, impacts on the consumer because of supply chain constraints or whatever we talked about, mm-hmm. whether it's big weighting issues like the used car example we gave, or whether it's the margin components. It's highly likely given what's going on in the underlying numbers, we're starting to see that normalization yep. come to fruition, and it's going to be painful for some. And beneficial for others, and just sort of taking a breather and really trying to understand that will help make everyone make some better decisions.
0: When when you're looking for evidence of that, I mean, so you're looking at uh, things like PPI. Um, are, you, are you looking at you're looking at uh, earnings reports also on sort of anecdotal on on, on how they're, of course they're, uh, yeah
1: of course no no definitely I, and like I said you you know it's it, it, these these earnings reports can get. Really twisted, and the, the whole concept of corporate greed comes in, etc. And it's very—it's hard because, it, uh, you know, I use another, an example people can probably get their heads wrapped around is if you make whatever crackers or candy bars or whatever that you sell at to, to customers like Walmart. You know, look, made up numbers here, but let's say your cost of grains and wheat and all this kind of stuff are, I don't know, forty percent of your costs, right? Yeah, and. And those prices go up. Those prices go up, whatever, ten percent, right? So your cost as a portion of your total top line just went up by a material amount, four points. So when you go and ask your wholesale your your customer for a five percent or seven percent increase, you're picking up a little extra margin there. Well, you're protecting yourself because you're remember you're the one that has to build the inventory at these higher prices. So. Big rational consumers, big huge national chains—they don't think that's strange, but it can be very painful for the consumer. Um, and when you so, we're still in that period where I think in the second half of this year we'll start to see, as costs normalize, we won't see those ups and downs, and we'll start to normalize where the margins are. And in some cases, they'll stay a little higher. In some cases, they'll um, they'll come back down. And 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 I think there's there's room there. To interpret that, but you have to be a little careful. Um, you know, if you see sales are really great for a company that raised their prices seven percent, well, if their goods inflation is only four percent of that seven, of course they made more money, right? Yeah, but that's exactly. not because yeah. they necessarily did anything greedy. They're just trying to prepare for the inventory issues. For sure, yeah. And there's a we could do a whole show
0: on sort of the, the, <laughs> the inventory problems that that the companies have had when it, they went through a long period of. Just like whatever you can get, order it because yep. you can't get everything right. So whatever it is that you can get through, get it through. And yeah. um, the the um, and then
1: we changed the way we consume too because we left our houses and and went out into the world. So they that's what I want. Yeah, that's actually water. what.
0: I, yeah, that's actually what I wanted to finish on. Um, you know, Brendan is just like the. It's just this question on. on Getting a sense of like how to think about rotation, right? Like it, it is like it's easy to see rotation from you know from goods to services when we're looking at because we can you can go look at the we can all fly right and go look at the airlines and or try to get a reservation somewhere or get a you know uh, you know try to get into a hotel or tickets at Disney World, so you can kind of see that it's pretty easy to test. But there are lots of places where it's hard to see. Like how are you thinking about? The you know the rotation from goods, which in my mind most goods things are pretty easy to measure. Some services things are easy to measure, but some aren't. Like how do you how do you think mm-hmm. about that?
1: So I think sh- sure there's a, lot, there's a lot there. Remember, really rough numbers again. Let's call it goods are thirty percent ish, and and services are seventy percent of the economy. Um, so so there's also sort of the trade off waiting there um, when you think about things that are tough to measure inherently, you know, nonprofit hospitals helping communities really yeah. hard to measure, <laughs> yeah. right? Just a hard yeah. measurement problem. Uh, no judgment, just hard exactly. to measure. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I think about uh, when I think about high frequency pricing data from airlines, probably easier to measure, probably some mess in it every now and then, but, but easier to measure. So um, I think, you know, I, y- you can, you can take a look at things like the, there's a PCE measure, which is disclosed. This isn't something I calculate. This is on the press release um, uh, called the market-based PCE. where That isn't different from the trimmed. The market-based PCE, they make every effort to take out things where they have interpolated the price, and then they adjust it every year, just like they do. They make their seasonal changes, et cetera, but they try and do a really good job of the stuff we can actually measure. That's goods and services, uh, and they have a core market-based PCE. So to just to simplify, if I wanted to take a look, if I wanted to sort of understand the stuff I could measure, and remember, PCE is not just the consumer, it's it's the stuff across PPI and, P- and CPI. Um, I, I like to look at that market-based PCE. Um, it's not the answer, but I wouldn't want to interpret any other number without the benefit of that number. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the right way to think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I it think that's, that. That's. It's also accessible to anyone that wants to look at. Yeah, it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's easy to, it. to
0: look at and benchmark it over time. Yeah. Yep. yep. Matt, yep. I have to tell you, this is like. This went really quick. Um, I, I, I can't wait to have you back on again. Every time, every time you're on, I just feel like I'm, I'm smarter. And I know you don't mind that I go and just like steal the stuff you say and just use it. And no, way.
1: you're good. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, we'll, have you, we'll definitely have you back again uh, soon. Um, Brendan, Good to catch up, man. Yep. Next
1: uh, week, we okay. have got a great time.
0: Yeah, have a great time. Friday,
1: uh, next week. But uh, first, we've got to celebrate the 4th.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Everybody, uh, have a, I hope everyone has a, a wonderful uh, 4th of July weekend. Go see the fireworks and we'll catch you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.